Hello and welcome to the Hope Happens Here podcast. This is Kate Gosney Hoffman. I'm so glad you're here. Today we are joined by Dr. Miguel Gallardo. He is a professor at Pepperdine University of Psychology, and he's also the director of research at MECA, which stands for the Multi-Ethnic Collaborative of Community Agencies, which is a nonprofit in Orange County doing such amazing work uh, for mental health and destigmatizing mental health. So we talked to Dr. Miguel about so much with under the umbrella of mental health and um, the the stigma that lies within different ethnic communities and how to reach them most effectively. And he brought up a lot of good points. Um, one of the things that really sticks out for me is the uh, impact of language, how language really... Um, mental health gets lost in the shuffle of language and words can mean something to me, you know, very differently than it can mean in another language. And so that's something to really think about and how we can be more sensitive to that. Um, he also mentioned that the struggles that we see in Orange County really are not that unique compared to the struggles we see throughout the country. And it was interesting to talk about that and, um, you know, kind of what we need to do as a society because of how much our, um, societal influences affect the mental health states of people with different diverse backgrounds and having a sensitivity to that as well. Um, Dr. Miguel was very much a glass is very much a glass half full um, a, has a glass half full approach and he even mentioned that and his real work in the community comes from a mindset of let me learn from you. Let me learn what works for you in your culture and your community. And let's build on that and empower your voice and empower yourself to really know what is working instead of coming from an approach of I'm the expert. Something's wrong with you. The onus is on you. Um, so let's work together and collaborate and connect to find a better way to be. I really, really appreciated talking with Miguel. It was a meaningful conversation. And I just loved that he's working so hard and has such a dedication to changing the narrative around mental health from what's broken, what's wrong with you, to what's working for you and what can we build on that to find a solution. So let's talk with Dr. Miguel. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Sure, yeah, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Gosh, there is such a wealth of work that you do. <laughs> I would feel a lot more comfortable if you shared with us um, what it is that you, what your focus on, focuses are on, what you do, what organizations you represent. Just tell us a little bit sure. about yourself. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my primary, my home base is as a professor at Pepperdine University. And okay. Um, you know, every time I say Pepperdine University, people think I, I drive to this beautiful, you know, <laughs> campus on the beach and, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a view of the ocean outside my window. We actually have an Irvine graduate campus. And so I'm at uh, uh, the Irvine graduate campus and I teach uh, graduate school uh, in psychology. So and I actually run a, uh, a graduate master's level training program that's specifically to train students to work with Latinx communities. Uh, and so we have that at the Irvine Graduate Campus. Um, so I, you know, that's my home base. And um, you know, Pepperdine is is a great space because it allows me to to do a lot of work in the community. Mm-hmm. So I really, I mean, my my doctorate degree is in clinical psychology, mm-hmm. but I consider my work to be really around community multicultural psychology. And so I consider myself to be a a, a community multicultural psychologist, really. Um, and so all the work I do and have been doing for the past twenty years is 
you know, really around, um, you know, trying to meet the needs of underserved communities, unserved communities um, in whatever way I can. I also um, was one of the original founders of MECA, the multi-ethnic collaborative community agencies, uh, many, many years ago at this point. Uh, and that that's really a passion for me because it allows me to really support communities in ways that, um, that you know, uh, I think are much needed. Um, we, we, we decided, you know, over a decade ago that coming together and supporting each other was going to be a lot more successful in trying to reduce barriers, increase access to services, particularly for monolingual, you know, isolated, linguistically isolated communities, Korean, Vietnamese, Spanish, whatever it may be. Um, so, so that's where most of my time is spent professionally. I, 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 I say that professionally, I have that disclaimer because my most important role is as a father. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, I hear you. So I, you know, I, I think, I think that, um, you know, Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And, uh, oh, and so yeah. the day, the day I became a dad was, the was sort of a, a really significant moment. So I, so since, since I've had my daughters, I've sort of balanced between how to, how do I, you know, make, make these two worlds come together. And so yeah. there's a rhythm in there. There's a rhythm in there. Yeah. And I, and I know we talked a little bit before we started about you have a three and a six year old, right? right? So you're right. in it, right? Yeah. You are in it right, right now. Yeah. And um, and I'm sure that that's all very connected for you. Right. You know, the work that you're doing and yeah. the legacy you're living, leaving for your children, too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in fact, I was talking to this organization nationally last month or so. And, um, you know, someone asked sort of how do you sort of move through everything that's happening right now in the world and i said you know i I think about my girls and my kids Mm -hmm. and you know what 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 how can i how can i teach them um to to really um honor and appreciate who they are you know as mexican-american little girls um and not teach them to hate others simply Mm -hmm. because they are Mm mexican-american and because you know i think it was it was a conversation around just you know race relations, cross-cultural relations, and trauma around that. And, and I say, you know, one of the greatest challenges is how, how, do, I, how do I teach my kids to, to love and honor themselves and, while, and understand that there are challenges in the world, but to not teach them to hate right. and to dislike right. and to have assumptions and, and biases and all kinds of things about others simply because of, you know, the color of their skin or what their name might be or where they come from. And that's the challenge in some ways. I think it's so, it's much easier to say, you know, all X are this way and all Y are that way. Um, And I think we're perpetuating more of the same when we do that. So, so when I think about my work from a multicultural Mm -hmm. foundation, um, you know, it's how do I teach, you know, my kids and then just people in general, my work revolves around, you know, how to do conversations better. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's important. So, yeah. And such important conversations need to be had. Yeah, and for sure. For you to marry the world of psychology and the world of cultural sensitivity. Yeah. What I mean, bringing those th- two things together, that niche that you have is something yeah. that is greatly needed in my humble opinion, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, as a therapist myself, I am very, very aware of the privilege that I've had in the mental health community. And then, yeah. you know, as a Caucasian American, I'm aware of the privilege I have even just finding in the resources that are available to mm-hmm. me that I don't even think twice about. Right. Right. right, right yeah. Um, and so I'm very interested in the work that you do and, and very grateful yeah, for thank the work you. that you thank do you. Yeah, thank um, you. because it's layered. You're, you're working in the community and you're also teaching 
future mental health professionals. That's right. And you're teaching your children. And so it's very embedded. In, yep. And yeah, absolutely. I, and we have to do it differently. I mean, if you look at where we are now, um, I think it would be disrespectful to those who came before us to say that nothing's changed. Right. But um, but a lot hasn't. True. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot has, and, and there's so much more that we we need to do differently. And so we just need to do this process a little bit differently going forward. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the same place, you know, 10, 20, 30 right. years from now. And I worry about that. Sure. Yeah. And I know this is a very big topic, and there's so many things we could talk about under this umbrella. But yeah. maybe let's just start with... What are the themes that you see, maybe let's just start in our community, Orange County, in terms of what are the changes that you think need to happen first in yeah. terms of mental health? Right, right. Well, I mean, I think, I, I don't know that Orange County is is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is unique in many ways, but, but I, I think in terms of when I think about mental health, mental health systems, yeah. um, you know, I think many of the challenges we face here are, are, are fairly, you know, consistent and across yeah. other places here in Southern California and, 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 and whatnot. But I, I think we just need to do a better job of, of destigmatizing yeah. mental illness, mental health, just in general. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a national problem we have. Um, and, I, and I think the, the, the more we continue to, I think, perpetuate misconceptions, misinformation uh, about those who might be dealing with some kind of mental health condition, um, I, I think the harder it gets to try to break this, that sort of psych, that vicious cycle, if you will. Because what happens is that when we have a narrative or, or there's a, there's a you know, the thing about stigma, there's the social stigma, the public stigma that comes with, you know, right. um, mental illness and, and mental health conditions that people may have. And that really creates, in some ways, you know, um, self-stigma, internal stigma, and then that impacts, you know, do I go get help? Do I not get help? Do I tell someone I have something going on? Do I not help? Mm-hmm. Tell someone I have something going on, and so it's all very connected to each other in, in many ways. And I think we we struggle um, around, uh, you know, talking about it in a way that um, destigmatizes these issues. And, and the reality is, is that if you really think about it, I mean, sometimes I'll tell people like, you know, have you ever felt sad? Have you ever felt anxious? Have you ever felt, you know, uncomfortable, uneasy about, you know, and maybe more than one time, et cetera. I mean, those are all emotional ups and downs that people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have to kind of really talk about it in a way that, and that, you know, these are issues that, you know, people deal with on a, on a daily basis. Some deal, deal with it much more consistently than others. But even if we can even if we contextualize it within the context of what's happening now, right. um, there's a lot of research that's already come out, you know, that, that has, has said that, you know, if, if someone was dealing with some sort of mental health condition prior to COVID and this pandemic, it is even more intense to a certain degree sure. at them, for them at this point. But then the research also says like, you know, even if you d- weren't dealing with something before, you're probably feeling it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so, you know, I think the one thing, you know, I always my glass is always half full, it's never half empty. So when I think about what's happening now with this pandemic, I think, you know, we're here for a reason, you know, we're being poked and prodded as communities and people to try to sort of think about what what, what we need to do differently. And and so I think one of the one of the outcomes that I think has been maybe we could argue more positive is that I think the conversations around mental health 
and the focus on getting people to right. attend to it mm-hmm. and see it as important and valuable, I think has changed over these last eight, nine months in ways that I don't know that they would have happened quite so expeditiously if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic in some ways. So I, I think I've loved that there's been much more of a discussion around um, you know, thinking about how to take care of oneself um, and, 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 and almost like normalizing that, that people are you know, experiencing a range of emotions and circumstances based on what's happening right now. And I think this has been helpful in that way. Yeah. No. Boy, I agree. You know, one of those those positive things to come out of a crisis where people are pushed to their limits. That's right. And they're they're forced to look at themselves. And it does seem like there is more of a conversation happening about people's mental health because we have to. <laughs> we I mean, have a choice. <laughs> you can't live under a rock. Right. People are all struggling in their own ways because yeah. this is such an unprecedented time right. with so many challenges that people just never saw coming. Right. Right. Um and so through your work with Mecca and then obviously all the work you're doing in the community um, through through teaching as well, do you have a practice right now as I well? I do. I have you a have small a practice. practice. I do. Okay, yeah, I thought I do. so. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. So you're seeing it from all angles. <laughs> yeah. The conversations that you're talking about, has it seemed to shift within the different um you know the different from a cultural perspective things that maybe have been harder to talk about has it has it been is there a reason to talk about it now is there less of a resistance i guess and yeah. i know you kind of just said that but i'm just yeah. curious about the different the different cultures that we're looking at like you said the monolinguistic linguistic cultures yeah. um or, or um just the barriers yeah. are they shifting what is it what does it look like what does you it know, look like to you know i mean I, I a little bit a little bit i i think there's still a lot of stigma i think there's still right. a lot of work to be done particularly in in some of our sort uh, some of our mono mono sort of linguistically isolated communities right. i think there there's certainly um, still a lot of stigma attached to, mm. you know, you know, having a mental health condition or dealing with some sort of emotional vulnerability in, in some way or another. I, I certainly think, you know, I, I and so for my practice, for example, I, I, I work a lot, you know, I wouldn't say primarily or exclusively, but with a lot of Latinx community members mm-hmm. and, um, and many of them are Spanish speaking community members. And, and so I, I, I'm hearing them talk about experiences and circumstances and situations in ways that maybe they, they might not have done prior to COVID. Mm. So I definitely think everyone's experiencing it in a different way and feeling it in a different way. And because of that, they're being forced mm-hmm. to have a conversation mm-hmm. or to do something about it. Now, these are people that I think, you know, in some ways have access to me through the different channels in which I, you know, maybe provide services in different ways. There are so many, though, who uh, are still, services are still inaccessible to them. And mm-hmm. and so if they are dealing with a certain, you know, emotional vulnerability and, and dealing with some kind of struggle, I'm not so sure that we're, we've done anything during this time that is increasing access to services to help some of those folks who mm-hmm. are definitely feeling it in ways that they haven't before. So I think we, I would say that I'm hearing some conversation shift a little bit, you know, because I, people are just quite frankly, their backs are against the wall. You know, human behavior is that we, most, for the most of us anyway, we don't change until we have no choice but to change. True. That's just sort of just our true. human nature, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. It's like, it's just who we are. And so 
I think a lot of people are at that space. Yeah. And and because of that, you know, I think they're realizing they need some support. My concern is that I don't know that our our it's like the perfect storm. I think the the you know, this pandemic has has heightened and made more salient the 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 range in which one can experience emotions as right. a human being, right. but it hasn't, and, and, and simultaneously, it's also, I think, um, been a barrier to receive services because we many of many have gone to telehealth, many have gone to, you know, remote services in, in many ways, and and we know, just like in the school system, there are many community members, primarily, um, you know, more on the lower socioeconomic end of the spectrum, lower resourced community members. Who are having trouble, you know, accessing services because right. of the way they're being delivered at this moment in it's time. It's almost so one more barrier. It's another barrier right. in many ways. I think a lot of people have said, in many ways, like you know, the telehealth has increased some access in some ways. Right. But for but that's only for a select sort of portion of our communities. Right. In many ways, there are yes. so many who are struggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we think about schools, you know, the kids who are struggling the most because of distance learning and whatnot are the kids who are in the lower resourced communities um, yeah. who are who just whose access to resources are incredibly limited and that's true for mental health as well so I worry about them yeah me too I worry about them mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. that's a whole nother topic of the the children you right. know the the mental health right um, implications of right. Right. This whole thing in general, sure. and then add that onto it that yeah. they can't, you know, they can't even get access to what they need to do to right. stay connected, and that's right. And the anxiety that that that's causes right. is that's is, right. Yeah, it's a big deal. Right, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to kind of go back a little bit to what you were talking uh-huh. about with stigma, because yes, that is the hugest barrier, right? Mm-hmm. The kind of the the everything kind of trickles down from that in a way, and. So much of what this podcast is even about is destigmatizing sure, mental health. Sure, yeah. And we talk about it a lot. We say stigma, stigma, you know, talking about different ethnic back, backgrounds, communities. Um, and I'm just curious from your opinion, and I know this differs, but maybe just sure. because the, the Latinx population that you work with a lot, what is, in your opinion, what is the stigma? <laughs> what is it for yeah. that culture, cultures? Yeah. What is it? What 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 keeps them yeah. from from seeking services yes. or talking about it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it. I think this is true for not only Latinx communities but other. I think historically, you know, um, oppressed communities in many ways that yeah. that there's there's a lot of. Well, first off, I think in in some of our communities, some of the we don't always have words in our languages that co- con- that are consistent with how we talk about things in English. Um, so oh, I think even right. the even the, 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 the linguistic differences in terms of how we talk about things may differ in some ways or may not be consistent. In some ways, I think there's a great book, it's called Crazy Like Us by Ethan Waters, actually. And he Crazy. talks about how, you know, the, the ex, how we in the United States have sort of uh, exported, if you will, um, you know, a mental health language and way of treating mental health disorders to other parts of the world where maybe it didn't exist before in huh. some ways. And so, so I, th- I think, you know, there's, there's certainly, I think some, some 
worldview differences mm. in terms of how we talk about and think about you know what we're experiencing and and I think because we have in some ways um you know this idea of stigma it's like it, you know it comes from the Greek mark of disgrace if you will you know and, and and so if you think about that it's like you know nobody's going to want to be seen in that kind of a way and right. and so there's a lot of shame yes around talking about one's you know, maybe what one might be experiencing from a mental health perspective. And and so I know in a lot of Latinx communities, I mean, it still happens today where people are like, you know, if there's a, if there's a family member who might um, be on the spectrum, might be autistic or, you know, um, uh, someone who might be on the, the uh, maybe schizophrenic or dealing with some sort of severe mental illness, there's almost like a, a, um, a hiding of that individual and those symptoms from even within the family sometimes because there's there's so much like um you know i think shame around yeah. around that and and what does that mean you know for for us as a family what does that say about us and what does that how does that reflect how does on that us? reflect on right. us and and whatnot and and yet i think one of our greatest strengths as latinx community members is is as communities is that we're family oriented in many ways. We're certainly not the only ones that are family oriented. I, I think no, fa- yeah. family is is important to to many communities. Um, but I think for us, intergenerationally, intergenerationally, it it it, yeah. it has it has certainly played an important role. And we and you know, when speaking of schizophrenia, there there have been um, I think quite a few studies over the years that have have said that when families who have uh, particularly families, Latinx families, when they have a, a, an individual who's been diagnosed with schizophrenia, if they receive that family, that individual with warmth and acceptance mm-hmm. and, and kindness and, and, and sort of understanding, if you will, and it may sound very simple, the, 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 indiv- the, 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 the likelihood of the individual in some ways re-experiencing those symptoms or, or being re-hospitalized or you know, being re-triggered are decreased significantly, actually, wow. than if than if within the family, there's that family stigma. Right. You know, if there's that family stigma in there, that individual is going to have a, the, 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 they're going to have a difficult time in right. many ways. And so I think a lot of it's shame. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is um, sometimes linguistically, we don't talk about things in the same ways. Right. Um I also think institutionally, we think about institutional stigma around policies and laws and whatnot that I think we just, we, we have not done a very good job of, of creating systems in which it is okay to experience anything that might be out of our cultural or social right. norm. Outside and the I, bell curve. Outside the bell, yeah. And I found that really interesting because if you think about it, like, like, um, Someone who who might be experiencing an intellectual disability, mm-hmm. that's so we're going to diagnose that individual. That's a diagnosable situation and circumstance. Yeah. Someone who's an intellectual genius. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been around someone who's like off the charts, like Savant, you know, yeah. kinda, right? <laughs> it's like it's yes. like it's like it's like like there's some there's some Something's you know off there. there's a, there's maybe some some you know away from the norm totally. types of you know yes. behavior but we don't we're not we're not trying to pathologize and diagnose true. that individual major depression or depressive disorders like it's a, we we want to pathologize we want to we want to we, we want to sort of stigmatize that 
unconditional optimism on the other end of that spectrum. Like, like there's also, I think, some... There's some things there too. Uh-huh. Denial. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. So, yeah. but we don't, but you know, do you see what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, I, I think do. we have this like. So Why do I, you I, think that is? Well, I, I think, I think in some ways that, you know, it's like who's invested in how we talk about things? Who mm. benefits? Yes. What systems are benefiting? What, what entities are benefiting? What people are benefiting from how we talk about things? How we end up categorizing and labeling and diagnosing and whatnot you know who's benefiting from those types of conversations from that discussion from 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 talking about and and really classifying things in certain ways Mm -hmm. um and and i think in you know i I think people sometimes people have have reactions when i say this but i think they're they're some of these are very politicized processes yes you know, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you, I talk about this when I talk about sort of cultural issues and whatnot. I tell people, look, um, Aristotle said that we are political animals as human beings. Mm. Not, and I'm not talking about, you know, who's Democrat, who's Republican, who's conservative, liberal, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's more like, you know, we cannot remove ourselves from the context in which we find ourselves. And therefore, right. we are political because the, the, so, so we are being impacted and influenced by, the very environments and context and circumstances we find ourselves, mm. which has a lot to do with how we understand things, how we make sense of things, how we see things, how we understand ourselves within right. the context of right. others, and I think all that all that matters when we talk about you know how we how we make sense of of you know why depression is problematic, but unconditional optimism somehow is there's it's no okay. issue with it right. or you know an intellect someone having an intellectual learning difference is problematic but someone who's an intellectual genius and, and, and on the other end of the spectrum is, is sort of right. like more socially acceptable to a certain degree you know um, right. so I think I think I think those processes I, I think when I think about you know um, mental health issues mental illnesses mental health disorders, I think about social construction and and you know the mm-hmm. the context, the the way in which you t- we talk about things. Even even when I was talking about schizophrenia earlier, even schizophrenia when you know um, I think it was Bueller who uh, who initially t- kind of t- coined the term schizophrenic and schizophrenia. And when he described it, he was describing it that individuals having some unusual behaviors, mm-hmm. unusual behaviors. European and American sort of um, ideologies and interpretations, it went from unusual to bizarre. Mm. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah, and that's so, a jump. yeah, it's, 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 so I think we, I think, I think that's problematic when we talk about stigma and how we do dis- languaging is critical, how we, how we talk about it, how we understand it. Um, I think there's so much misinformation, um, misconceptions, lack of awareness mm-hmm. in our communities here in Orange County. Yes, um, yeah. you know, and and I think I think that 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 has a big role in in, in some of the challenges. And boy, that's something that, uh, boy, you just don't even really think about you, the language part of mental mm-hmm. health and how mm-hmm. what words are used to describe right. certain experiences yeah. and how that could be very confusing, but you know, cross culturally. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, you think about the evolution of, of language and yeah. mental health yeah. diagnoses, especially, right? right? right. Imbecilic behavior yeah. used to be in right. the DSM or, right. you know, right. tons of other things that yeah. now would be not okay right. Absolutely. to say. And, uh, you know, it's, 
it is fascinating. It's something that it's, it's, I really appreciate that point yeah. to, to realize that this might not cross over. This might not be to you what it is to me. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, there's there's this process called um, you know um, ha, ha, anthro, there's an anthropologist who who sort of developed this like um, uh, how we understand mm-hmm. issues from different cultural communities. Um, it varies. It it differs, and so right. how how we make sense of it. How we understand it, um, what we what we how we define it, um, and 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 then what we believe are the means to restoring health and wellness right. um, is going to differ, and mm-hmm. and and so I think a lot of times we end up comparing apples to oranges. So it's like if I if I'm if I'm comparing myself to something else that is contextually and congruently and culturally inconsistent with me, yeah, I'm gonna look off. Totally. There's, uh, there's always going to be a problem yes. with me. <laughs> yes, and but therefore the shame happens. Th- that's right. But if yeah. but if I'm if I'm looking at okay, what's what's the gauge? What's the what's the what, what what's the comparison group that I'm looking to understand what this individual's behavior is and and what makes sense, what doesn't? You know, we're going to be a lot more, I think, respectful yeah. and and mindful about how we understand people's you know behaviors. Anything out of context is going to always look bizarre. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, the last episode we recorded was was with um, Ileana Soto Welty yeah, 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 from yeah. from Mecca, yeah. and boy, she was so lovely to talk to. And we were talking about almost this exact same thing, and and she was talking about the the ways in which. Um, she reaches people that may not otherwise be, or that Mecca reaches, sure. that be open to having these conversations. And yeah. she shared with us in depth about this writing project uh-huh. that she's um, headed up and and giving people the opportunity to share what it is for them, the yeah. experiences that they're having right. in their own words, right. That's right. and what it is for them, and what it is within their context, and what you know, how they would describe it versus kind of more of a top-down approach of this is it. Do you fit in this? You fit in this category, don't you? That's right. Or whatnot. And it's so powerful, you know, when you sort of reverse that approach. Yeah. um, Yeah. And, and one size does not fit all. One, one word does not fit all. No, no, it's powerful. And, and I, you know, our, those programs that she's referring to, they're also using, we're also using community members to help us, uh, you know, destigmatize and, and break down some barriers and, and, and increase access. Right. And so that matters too. I think when you pull folks from the communities that you're trying to reach, yes. um, that matters. That matters a lot because if I walk into certain communities, look, I, I, I don't need to be there for, for, I can be there for a nanosecond and people are like, he's not from here. <laughs> right. It's like, so people are going to know. And so and that, so that, you know, that may not ultimately be a make or break, but but I think um, it, it's something we have to be mindful of that we need to we need to um, help. Um, I think in some ways uh, educate and train and work with people from the communities who we're trying to reach and and do that uh, more and more. I think and I think that's going to help us a lot. Yeah, having yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Would you say that there's a certain level of protection that they have over their community and and when they have somebody from outside? Especially from the world of mental health psychology yeah. or whatnot, coming yeah. does it feel? Is there's an extra layer of, layer of resistance? Uh, you there? know, I I think I, yeah, I, I certainly think there's there's a there's a mistrust because you know when when you're talking about even if you look at Latinx communities, um, you know we we are we are experiencing mental health concerns 
you know, um, just like everyone else is. But our rates of actually going to a uh, talking to about it with it with a primary care physician or going to a mental health professional or right. is it, it just with each one it just decreases how much we're actually doing that and and how much we're mm. going to services it's like the the percentage is is incredibly small compared to the 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 number of folks who might be experiencing it in, in, in many ways and so the access and and to to services and then when I think you know when when we go to receive services and this is beyond just even latinx communities but many others as well we're we're maybe being responded to in ways that are making us feel um i i think uh more shame yeah more more sort of pathologized more more away from the ab from the norm more abnormal and i think that also creates um a barrier around like i don't want to go to a system that's going to not understand who I am. Right. So when you have someone coming in from outside the community, there's already a level of of hyper hyper awareness and hypersensitivity around like okay, what does this person want? And 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 I mean what are they and and quite frankly, we know from history that outsiders have come into communities and exploited those communities to their benefit. Right. Right? And that's still happening in many in, in many ways. And so there's definitely, I think, a layer of, of of protection and mistrust that I think is very healthy for our communities to have, actually. And mm-hmm. and so we sh- we should question, we should understand what people's intentions are, we should understand what they're trying to accomplish, what what we need to understand what what how it's going to benefit our communities at the end of the day, and not just the the person coming in from the outside and getting what they need and then leaving uh, yeah. in many ways. So I think when we use folks from the community, um, there's a level of investment there that I think um, is 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 very powerful. And, and I think also it, it also breaks down some of the mistrust and some of those other barriers yeah. as well. Yeah. I really like that point. And um, correct me if I, I'm wrong or am, am misstepping in a way, but I feel like what you just described about th- that mistrust that should be there. They mm-hmm. have a right to that. That's right. And I agree. Um, it's a fragile thing, right? Because you want to make sure that they have the resources and, and yet you're not disrespecting the culture and disrespecting, you know, the, the doubts that they might have. Right. And so using the community members, right, is really, really important. Right. This is an opportunity to actually empower them in their mental health and and asking questions maybe out of what begins as cynicism but maybe uh-huh. turns into empowerment and actually getting them you know yeah. more educated in a way that feels closer to home right um makes more aligned with who they are or what they believe or their family believes or the culture they come from and it's an opportunity to 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 empower and and because having people operate in sort of kind of a silo effect where we're all kind of it not connected yeah. isn't quite the answer either. No. Right. So that's, you know, how do we reconcile that? You yeah. know, we want to empower the empower people in their own mental health yeah. by providing resources and not take away their right to question and, and you know, we want to empower that's right. them. That's right. And yet not continue to isolate. So it's it's a little bit of a conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Well in some ways I think we have to let people know that that um we 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 need to walk into communities i think as a 
as a as a as an observer and a listener and a learner in many ways Beautiful because point. I think I right. think a lot of times when we walk into communities um, and I, I don't and I, I don't want to generalize this too much but I, this is certainly happens and I think it continues to happen where it's like I, I walk in thinking I know what the solutions are to people's mm-hmm. problems right. And I think there's an there's an assumption there that we don't know what our own solutions are to our own problems, <laughs> right. and, and I and I think that's a that's a that's a problem. So I think we have to go in with with assuming that communities have resources, internal, cultural, whatever they may be, that are going to probably be very advantageous for us to sort of understand, to learn, to incorporate, and to to work together and have some synergy there because mm-hmm. um, because look if, if i if i say look i'm going to give you money to go and work with the latinx communities but here's how you got to do it and these are the stipulations and these are the right. guidelines you know it, it i I'm, I'm concerned about you know to what degree and what impact that's going to have you know positively in that way and so right. i i think there has to be some flexibility around you know how we walk in and i think it's understanding that you know, we we don't have all the answers. Yes. You know, and 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 even if I think about just contextualizing this, you know, the our mental our, our sort of traditional mental health systems mm-hmm. in some ways, mm-hmm. the 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 onus is put entirely on the individual. So the problem lies solely within the individual in many ways. Now, you know, again, some people may argue with me on that, and that's fine. But but in general, there's this there's this thing like, look, um, we, you, you are the sole bearer of responsibility and for sort of what you're experiencing, and that fails to take into account all the how everything that someone brings into a clinical encounter, therapeutic encounter, whatever you want to call it, is socially produced. Not to mention generationally, generationally, trauma, generational trauma, exactly. which also is socially produced. Absolutely, yeah. and and so I think yeah. we, we, so I think we have to even understand that it's like right. We're, we're so we're we're sort of when we when we reinforce that idea, whether it's conscious or unconscious, we're also minimizing and I think um, failing to recognize the strengths and resources within people and right. communities in many ways, uh, and yeah. so I, I I just I think we have to. You know, I, I always tell my students, I said, you know, I don't care where the person comes from. They're living on a box in the street or, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or wherever, in, somewhere in between there. Like, find out what's right with the person before you find out what, before you try to figure out what's wrong with them. You know, that. what's right with them? What's, yes. what's, you know, everybody, there's, there's something we can find you know, good and right with people. And I think that's the place we have to start. So when I go into, when I, when, when you go into a community, find out what's good about the community. What's, what resources, what, what, what do they already, what do they have already that, that, that we may not know of that may be a source of support and resilience and thriving for them uh, in many ways that, uh, that, that we just may not be taking into consideration or maybe even understand from our perspectives. And, and then, you know, I think at that point, organically, inherently, you're, you're going to find out some of the challenges. But but, you know, let's find out what's right with people and, and communities right. first. And what is working for you? And what's working? Yeah, absolutely. What's working? Yeah. We have a lot to learn too. Just because we're experts in the field or whatnot does not mean no. that we have all the answers. No. And if we ever feel that we do, then 
that's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love that, that we can learn from each other and um, that what strikes me when you say ask find out what's right with them before you find out what's wrong is actually how that is a whole paradigm shift from the way the world of mental health works and how we train people and how we train people exactly how we talk about it yeah and and like going back to what you're saying kind of who pays for things i mean that's a whole and what's what's reinforced right yeah yeah. and and so i i guess i would just say too that um um this idea of um we have to, you asked a question earlier, and I, and I want to just get back to it briefly, but we have to work together. Yes. You know, yeah. if, you, any, if you look at our histories, anytime we've done that, we've always been much more successful. We are in one of the most divisive and divided times that some people are saying since the Civil War. Yes. And, uh, and so, um, so we, we need to work together. So we need, we have to. We have to. There's there's no other alternative, and mm-hmm. and so how we do that and what that looks like, I think, has to be co-created. Yeah. Not just one dimensional and one sided. Right. Um, but but we need to. So you know, I, I I want people to want to support my communities, but I don't want people to think that my communities don't know how to help themselves, and we don't know how to do sort of take care of ourselves. Victims, we, right? We, yeah, we are we are we are we are some of the most resilient people I know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so so I think I think even just you know I think that is is imperative when we think about sort of what it means to work together yeah I, I couldn't you know. agree more and and to your point this time is sort of there's there's a it's a pressure cooker definitely um yeah of you know it's kind of do or die when it comes to we yeah. need to get all on the boat together yeah and 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 start kind of stretching and coming yeah. outside of our, our comfort zones yeah. and respecting yeah. one another and connection. Yeah. I mean, it's connection is everything. And it's important. This is especially a hard time for that yeah. too, you yeah. know, the connection piece of right. things. So, um, yeah, collaboration and, um, yeah, beautifully said. Thank yeah, you. Sure. Thank sure. you. Yeah. So for you, you know, the work that you do, you're, you're, you're I, I believe that you're, I can sense from you that you're passionate about fighting the stigma of mental health and, mm-hmm. and making sure that that narrative changes mm-hmm. and that you're part of that. I think when you were talking about the the um, the schizophrenic diagnosis in the in the families, mm-hmm. and you know, if they were received in a different way, the outcome would be very different. Yeah. When we're talking about young people in these specific kinds of communities. What would help you think if thing what kinds of things would be helpful if they were implemented earlier on? What kinds of shifts would be helpful to yeah. help from a, you know, we're starting earlier. Yeah. So we have that more um kind of embedded in the family instead of yeah later on. I mean what what what's your opinion about that? Well, I mean I, I mean I think I think th- th- this this is probably nothing, you know, that what other people haven't already said, but I, I think it's around, you know, h- how we can start um, in, earlier in our education system, mm. in our educational processes, mm-hmm. um, you know, I- integrating yeah. these conversations. You know, when I when I came, when I went through my formal education, there was no psychology courses in high school or right. middle school or wherever. And and now I think they have some in, in some yeah. places, and I think that's important. But but I think it's around um, you know really giving voice to the obvious and the and the and being transparent mm-hmm. about that. And I think we we have to 
talk about it. It's it's like you know we were talking about you know cultural issues and uh, simultaneously with with this right. talking about stigma and and it's like you know we we need to talk about you know um, uh, uh, cultural cross cultural relationships earlier yeah. also right as if you know it's like well you know we don't talk about those with kids and yet they know very early on that they're sort of skin color differences and those things mean something and so we have to prepare our children and the next generation and give them the language to be able to and i i would say that 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 younger the younger generation i think in many ways is is developing and fighting and pushing against some of that which i think is good um but i think systemically and and institutionally we have to do a better job of embedding and integrating and normalizing Mm -hmm. Um, you know the experiences that people are having on a daily basis. I mean, yeah. everybody on at some point or some at some point in time, um, you know, we're experiencing some emotional variability in how we're feeling and how we're responding to life and what happens to us and what happens to the ones we love. And you know, so I think I think that's really important. I think we need to do that. And I think we just we also need to sort of develop ways to um, create more educational. Out, outreach and, and, and programs right. in communities um, where there's sometimes misinformation, quite frankly. And yeah. and I think the, the misinformation can also generate, I think, um, you know, um, uh, can further increase the stigma mm-hmm. and the shame mm-hmm. and the reluctance to see. I mean, you know, stigma uh, can lead to um, uh, someone dying. True. Yes, I can. For for not for not wanting to talk about, not wanting to seek help, not wanting to take medication, not wanting to, whatever it may be, and so, I just think we have to really you know hold that, uh, con- that thought simultaneously while we're talking about everything else. It's like you know, the stigma is is can can cost people lives, right. people's their lives in many ways, and and we see that happening all the time. Right. No. And you look at that, and I'm, I, I, I bet. Well, we don't know what happened. It's unexplainable. We, you know, it's. Yeah. But the reality is, like, there was so much shame because of the stigma, yeah. that it just led to, you know, a, yeah. a, you know sort of a dark place. And yeah. I, I think that's yeah. a very good reminder to that, to be sensitive of that. It's more yeah. than just being kind of socially compliant. It's actually realizing that that is a mental health concern in itself yeah and i think just again just normalizing that you know look every human being is moving through you know different emotions at different times for different reasons having a human experience having a human experience and that's really what we're talking about here and and some of those human experiences are going to be a little bit more intense than others and maybe require a little bit more support than others but but they're nonetheless they're part of the 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 continuum of the human experience that I think every single one of us is is susceptible and vulnerable to experiencing at any given moment in time under the right circumstances in the right context right. you know at depending on what's going on and I, I you know I always tell people whenever I see things happening and and you know I, I always tell people you know like I, I don't know how I would respond if I were in that situation I, I'd like to think I could tell you how I'm going to respond mm-hmm. but if you know um, something's happening to a family member or something or, or there's a some major like I don't know how I'm going to respond like I, I, I just I can't tell you that because um, so I try I think we also have to be less judgmental yeah. around looking yeah. at other people's experiences because um, you know it's too easy for us to, to see ourselves outside of that yes 
And quite frankly, what happens to you okay, is also, I think, you know, part of my human experience. It should be. Yeah. Like what if I love and respect you, then I love and respect myself. Right. And if I do harm, if I if I'm doing if I do harm to you, I'm doing harm to myself in many ways. We're and reflections of each other. We're, we are reflections of each other. And I think that's part of the, the, the human experience. Now, all our human experiences are not the same. So no. I don't want to say that we're all humans and we're all the same because our lives don't unfold that way. But there is there is something that transcends the human experience that I think um, we have to, you know, we have to really appreciate and understand that, you know, when, when something happens to you, um, you know, in many ways, I really believe that that something's happening to me, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's partly what keeps at least me grounded mm-hmm. and and sort of situated in in trying to remain as much as I can, um, you know, respectful, mindful, mindful, kind of to try to walk with humility and right. and 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 try to you know respond to people with love and kindness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good humbling reminder. That we are all connected, yeah, and and from a mental health standpoint, it is a beautiful reminder that you know you matter just as much as I matter, mm-hmm. and my human experience matters just as much as your human experience does, yeah, and to not judge one another, and to just focus on that connection and try to rise together, yeah, yeah that's you know? right, yeah, so. We are just about out of time, yeah, okay. and I'm sad because I have a lot more things I wanted to ask you. But time flies when you're having it fun. It sure does. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to just just ask, give you the opportunity, um, talking about resources. If there's anything that you feel that you know our listeners, if there's any resources you want to just sort of let them know about, if they're struggling, maybe a family member struggling or they're struggling during this time, and anything you would just like them to know. Yeah, you know, I, I would, I think, well, you know, you talked about Mecca. I think Mecca is a great resource for communities and, and not just even just, you know, the some of the specific communities that we're serving, but, um, you know, we, we are a good resource for um, anybody who might need some resources um, and who are looking for maybe low cost or pro bono resources. The county has a lot of, I think, resources that are accessible, at least information wise. And, you know, how accessible they are may, may depend and vary on the circumstance and situation. But there are a lot of resources um, that I think folks can can pull from to at least get some information. I think Mecca is a great place to start. Okay. Um, because we have a lot of, uh, I think we've, we've over the last decade or so, we've, we've really generated a lot of um, connections and between all our agencies there, we are covered countywide and, um, and have, um, you know, if we don't do it, we know someone who does in, awesome. in, in many ways. Yeah. And so I think, I think Mecca is a great resource for people to, to seek out information and whatnot. So, yeah, and I think it, I would just say, you know, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to yourselves, and um, you know, um, I think that's important. We just need to be more self, have have more self compassion for ourselves, and um, and with each other. And um, I think, you know, I think I think that's important. If we're if we're gonna if we're gonna try to you know make make this this process better, make our conversations better, make make our relationships better, we just need to be a little bit more compassionate with ourselves, with others, and. Um, and, and try to, you know, try to be more respectful to each other. 
Thank you so much Thank for you. being here, Dr. Miguel. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks so for nice the invitation. Talking to you, you too. You too appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Take care. Okay.